when you're limited, it makes you think outside the box. Hmm. You know, like I can't get a police car. So how can I create a scene where I got police lights and an officer showing up in a car? How can I pull that off? Well, hmm. um, you may not have to see it to know, you know, your mind is so powerful. Pull on that. Yes. So if I show point. the guy in the, in the costume and you see the lights, cause you can get the, you know, that effect from a lot of different lights nowadays. So I got the lighting effect and I got the guy in uniform. I don't necessarily have to have the car. Welcome to Black Executive Podcast, where we share inspiration and actionable advice for black creatives going pro. I'm your host, Jazz. With each episode, we'll chat with black creatives thriving in entrepreneurship, corporate careers and the nonprofit sector all while building a network of Black creatives, six head nods apart. Enjoy the show, where the dreamers become doers and the aspiring become inspired. Let's get started. Welcome back, Black Executive fam. Today, we're diving into the behind the scenes of an industry many of us have been immersed in since the beginning of quarantine, film. I'm talking to film director, videographer, and photographer of RB Media Solutions, Ryan Barnes. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you, Jasmine. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks for agreeing to spend some of your time chatting with me today. I know you're busy. You have a lot of things going on. And, you know, I know you as being a multi-hat creative, like you're in the film game, the photography game, the podcast game, etc. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about your creative background and how you transitioned into film? Sure. Um, when I really think back on it, I mean, I've been holding a camera probably since I could walk. Uh, I got my mm. first camera. Uh, a great aunt bought me a Polaroid back when I was about four or five years old. Uh, one of the cameras that, you know, take the instant pictures. You had to mm-hmm. buy the little flash bar, and the whole nine yards. And that's what really got me started. And from that point forward, uh, I just kind of progressed to, you know, started shooting on 110 when you had the little film, you had to get it developed. So mm-hmm. I shot, had 110 cameras and I had 35 millimeter cameras. Uh, and we were fortunate as well to have one of the early camcorders back when, you know, personal ho- uh, households had camcorders. Mm-hmm. And so my parents used to let me operate that. And it was mostly filming. Uh, vacations and church services and stuff like that. The thing was bigger than me almost. I mean, it was humongous. You had to put it on your shoulder and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always had my hands in it. Um, and from that point, uh, when the internet, I started on a computer early as well. I had a computer back when IBM first came out, like the 286, and it wasn't even graphic interface yet. You still had to do <laughs> wow. the DOS prompts and Right. Now I say DOS prompt to people and they look at me crazy like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, so that, you know, got me started in the computer world. And while I was on active duty in the military, um, Black Planet was real big. And so I started learning how to look at source code and I really got intrigued with web design. Mm. So I got started in that i wanted to learn web design but every college that i contacted you had to have a prerequisite in graphic design 
So after about the third or fourth school telling me the same thing, I ended up going to college for uh, graphic design with mm. a specialization in web design. Mm. And so that, you know, got me in the door really in the creative, uh, you know, fields. Um, and I, that was while I was out of San Diego. So, you know, you're right there next to L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people I went to school with, you know, got jobs at Pixar and stuff like that. And through that course, um, I learned 3D animation on Maya. I learned video editing on um, Final Cut Pro. Uh, and of course, you know, graphic design, I use, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator and so forth. So I've been using mm-hmm. Adobe for many years now. I'm almost ashamed to say how many years. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, so that's what really got me immersed in it. Okay, wow. That's that's interesting. And it's funny that you said um you had to go to school for graphic design with a minor in web design. I feel like it's uh, or a concentration in web design. I feel like it's almost the opposite now. You know, where there are so yes. many um fields that are shifting away. You you hardly even see graphic designer shown as much anymore as like the description. Right. It's all it's something else, you know. And now UX UI designers is you know that's really big and um that's 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 the field where I'm in and uh you you just okay. see all these different titles now that that is interesting that you like had to have that concentration. Um, also, you said Black Planet. Shout out! Yes. You remember Black Planet? <laughs> Absolutely, you know they're I, still around. Oh, I know because I had to contact them to remove one of my old accounts because when you search my name, it still popped up, and I am an adult. <laughs> Oh, wow. You know, actually, not too long ago, I was just curious. I was talking about it with someone and I installed their app on my phone and was able to log back in. Wow. That's crazy. That many years. But yeah, it's still there. I don't know if you remember uh, web TV for people that didn't have a computer. Mm, I don't know if I remember that. So web TV was kind of like it was just a box, a unit, kind of like a VCR, a DVD player. Mm-hmm. And you hook it to your TV and you could access the Internet. You know, this was back when AOL and dial up and all of that. Yeah. You could access the Internet and it had a remote control for you to navigate. Or you could spend some extra money and buy a keyboard to hook to it. But, yeah, went the web TV route to at one point. So, I mean, we've come a long way. Yes, you know, we in have. Our generation. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I I don't know about the web TV. I know I was on computers at young age too. At, at five, I had a computer, and I remember getting the little AOL disc. Not mm-hmm. that thin, but eventually, you know, as I was growing up, getting those in the mail and having to install those. And it's just so crazy now, and kids Man, today will never know. <laughs> right, they don't understand the the struggle we had with dial up. 56k modem and yes uh, like you said those aol and chat rooms were just everything you know to be able to chat but now yes. you know everything is so high speed and cable internet and satellite internet it's just yeah it's crazy when you look back on it yeah that's that's crazy how we've evolved so quickly so um i've seen a lot of theories on the tech revolution and how that is such a different revolution um, from the other ones that we've seen throughout history and how quickly we could easily hit this point with AI in which 
we're beyond pretty much return for humanity and like we have to move on to the next evolution with AI or perish. But that's another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So back to your career in, in film. So I know that like when I met you, you were mostly focusing on photography at that time. Um, at least uh-huh. to my knowledge. So, but now you're actually in the process of like making a film. So what was the catalyst that kind of sparked that decision? You know, I actually, um, so let me back up just a little bit. When I got my, I moved back to Arkansas. Let me say that. I moved back to Arkansas in 2005 and mm-hmm. I tried to launch a magazine. So this is when print, which is now no longer yeah. a thing, yeah. uh, when print was a thing, you know, I tried to launch a magazine and I hired a photographer to come do my photo shoots and so forth. And I was looking at what he was doing and I'm like, you know, I could do this myself. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> at that point, I started investing in, you know, in equipment. So I got my first camera. It was an Olympus. And uh, I shot on that camera for about 10 years. Wow. And. I finally upgraded to a Canon 60D when that first came out. As soon as it came out, I bought that camera and it had video capability. So at that point, I started studying, you know, making films, the indie films and stuff. So like on YouTube, uh, you had Indie Mogul and Film Riot Mm -hmm. were really big. And so I started planning at that point. But I'm the type of person, if it ain't perfect, I don't do it. You know, I'm not going to put it out there if it's not perfect. So that's really when I started messing with that, uh, with with film. And now, you know, recently I just got to the point where it's like, look, either you're going to do it or you're not, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I would make every excuse in the book. I don't have this gear. I don't have that gear. Mm -hmm. And now I have accumulated so much equipment, so many (laughs) cameras and microphones. And I mean, you name it, I got it you know, several drones and so forth. So it's like you have absolutely no excuse at this point. Right. You know, get it done. And so this past weekend, I actually shot uh, a short film that will be coming out here real soon. Uh, And we got plans to actually launch uh, a couple of channels uh, for 2021 on Roku and Amazon Fire. Yes, love to hear that. I didn't know that. Now, that is excellent, excellent. So, okay, what? Well, how did you? Now I'm derailing. So, how did you get into like the channel um, game? How does that work? Well, just always looking to expand. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, it costs so much money to even get started in this type of thing, and I'm looking for ways to recoup that investment. And so, and I'm the type of person, if, if I'm going to eat, I want everybody around me. Yes. You know, um, and now like, you know, things are so easy to get involved with on the, on the lower levels where, you know, before you thought you had to go to Hollywood in order to be a movie star. Right. But with technology advancing the way it is today, where, you know, consumer cameras, uh, I mean, I just bought a 6K camera. You know, so, uh, you know, consumers like you and I can participate in these same industries that used to be exclusive Mm -hmm. to Hollywood and their millions of dollars. Um, So starting a a channel on Roku or Amazon Fire is, you know, a few hundred bucks now. 
Wow. So it's like, well, let me go that route. You know, I don't want to just be on the internet. I want to be on TV. I want you to be able to, you know, pull me up on your TV at home. Mm-hmm. So I started researching that. And um, so now I'm making plans to acquire, you know, content because realistically I can't create it all myself. You know, mm. so we're looking at uh, different different avenues for attaining content for that. Okay. Okay. So any Black creatives that are content creators specifically for film and TV right now, I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> so make sure you tune into the end of the episode to get details on contact information because that sounds like... Yeah. The plug. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm so happy to to hear that. That is awesome. Um, and I'm like, yeah, to your point, that gatekeeping of Hollywood is slowly and slowly breaking down. And I love it. And that goes perfectly into my next question. So Issa Rae and other prominent Black figures in the film industry have recently spoken out a lot about the racism in the in the film industry and you know, how important it is for us to stay on their necks, you know, because like we need black perspectives behind the scenes, on the screen, in diverse roles, well, you know, wherever. So as a black creative, what unique form of storytelling do you feel like you bring or just black people in general as a collective bring to the independent film industry? Well, for me, you know, like you said, our voice just hasn't been heard. Uh, mm. You don't see us in those major roles. Um you're starting to now see, you know, some writers and producers, uh, directors getting, you know, getting to shine. Uh, and I tell you, you know, people like Tyler Perry creating his own lane uh, mm-hmm. is a big inspiration. And even looking at uh, Forrest Whitaker, you know, a lot of people don't, mm-hmm. see, they see him as an actor, but they don't know him as a producer and director and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Denzel as well. And I heard Denzel once make the point that, you know, what sets us apart especially with telling the black story is we know the culture, you know what I'm saying? So it takes somebody like us to tell it. Mm-hmm. And that's what, with the, the the content that I'm looking to create and creating, um, I always have a spiritual component in it, mm. you know, because I think that gets left out a lot. And when yes. I see them, the other people there try to, tell our spiritual stories they just don't get it right you know yes. it, it's it's just not right <laughs> so uh a lot of my works have some type of spiritual component to it because i think as a people uh that's something that we have lost connection with mm-hmm. and so you know we're big in entertainment uh so if you know if that's where people are at then i'm gonna meet them at that point and give them you know, mm-hmm. start to drop some spiritual knowledge in there. Yes, yes, I feel that. And please know he says spiritual, not religious. There are exactly. differences. So <laughs> I, I've had conversations with you, so I know what you meant, but I wanted to make sure the listeners knew what you... <laughs> right. We get plenty of religious films. Yes. Now, you know, the gospel and all of them, which were good films, but we don't really get a lot of stuff with a spiritual component. Yes. Yeah. And that's where our roots, our real roots before we got over here. Right. Yeah. Daughters of the Dust is a good one. I think everybody, you know, black people should watch, mm. uh, you know, about the Gullah people. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, you know, like I said, we don't really get a lot of those. And it's it's, it's really sad that we don't. So I want to, that's where I want to make a difference. Mm. 
Yeah, that's we need that. We need that. Um, that kind of reminds me, black hair at the time of this recording, black hair just came out. Um, bad hair. There it is. Bad hair. Yeah. So um, there was a discussion about that. I'm in a couple of like black creative groups and um, uh, there was a discussion about like, you know, this was a like, oh, it was so cheesy and, you know, all these things. And, you know, there, you know, people were collecting opinions. And, you know, my thought was, I don't care if it was cheesy or not. I know that a black creative took the time to think about what would a satire comedy horror film look like for black women. And they created it. And I didn't even have to look at the credits to know it was created by a Black person because of the nuances within the film. The things, you know, uh, uh, what does a chemical burn look like when you get a relaxer? How you yeah. pat your head when it itches, when you get weave in your head? You know, all these things, yeah. only, like you said, only we know. We know that because that's our lived experience. I, I can't tell you that. <laughs> right. And it showed on screen. Man, wonderful. I hadn't seen that. I'm going to have to to look for that one. But yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, they can't tell you how hair smells when it's getting pressed. <laughs> you oh, know? no. They can't tell you that. You mm-hmm. know, only we know that type of stuff. So this yes. is why I think it's definitely important that black creatives, you know, start to just, uh, regardless of how bad you think it looks, mm-hmm. you know, and this is where I had to practice what I preach because I would mm. tell people all the time, you know, so what if your first works, you know, they suck, you know, that's just the nature of it, but it's always yes. going to improve, mm-hmm. you know, and I would tell people that all the time, but not do it myself, <laughs> you know, like, well, no, nah, I want mine <laughs> to be perfect. Right. Yeah, so, but yeah, so now I'm, I'm taking a dose of my own medicine and uh, just put it out there, you know, see how, how people, you know, take to it. Yes, I'm I'm with you on a similar journey with that providing a lot of advice, encouraging Black creatives while also smothering my own creative goals behind perfectionism. So I totally understand where you're coming from. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and in the Little Rock community, you know, where I'm at, you got a lot of people that's out here now making moves. Mm -hmm. You know, they're out here shaking and, and, and getting it done. You know, a lot of work is being done. So I'm, I'm excited to see, what's you know about to drop where things are going and i know people all over the country you know are in that same mode uh, as soon as i did the casting for the short that i just did i started getting you know people hit me up from st louis and atlanta and just wow. all around wanting to work and i'm like wow i hadn't even dropped it yet <laughs> you know this is mm-hmm. just a casting call but it it definitely made me feel good put a little pressure on you though to Oh, you better come with something, you know, decent at least. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, I'm excited about where things are going. That That's awesome. And I'm excited for you. So, of course, you know, I'm going to ask you if you could tell us how much are you willing to share about the premise of your upcoming short? Uh, definitely. Um, so the title is called Not Alone. And it's about a um, a black woman, a wife. And on an abusive relationship, you know, domestic mm-hmm. violence. And basically our ancestors come to her and tell her, you know, we're here if you need us, just reach out. And in the midst of being beaten, she reaches out and her ancestors come to her to her aid. So that's the premise mm-hmm. of uh, of the story. I'm liking that already. Soon as soon as I heard ancestors, I'm like, yes. <laughs> i love it i I love when you see our you know the richness of our history and lineage acknowledged 
in film and and not overlooked and not rooted in slavery. Right. I always want to see us being victorious. Yes. You know, um, and actually, I mean, this whole project originally was supposed to be for a contest. Uh, it was hmm. a contest and the prize was, you know, the monetary prize was great. Uh, but it also gave you a whole bunch of gear, a whole bunch of gear. So, and it was from Rogue since, uh, mm. I know you're familiar with Rogue. Yeah. Uh, they do it every year. So it was the Rogue Reel, uh, contest. And so I was trying to pick a topic that they could relate to as well, mm-hmm. you know, and domestic violence is just unfortunately one of them things that everybody is plagued with. Yeah. You know, and I was shocked that, you know, we shot ours on the 17th. You had on the 18th, you had a major headline came out about a horrible domestic violence situation. And I want to say the 19th or the 20th, you had another one. Mm. It's like, oh, my goodness. Why right now? You know, mm. but yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a sore for our community. And it's those type of topics, you know, that elephant in the room that no one wants to deal with. It's the type of stuff I want to pull the Band-Aid off and like, hey, let's look this in the face and deal with it. Yes. Yes, that is so true. There are so many uh, complex topics that we don't want to talk about. We're so hush-hush um, yeah. in a community about things. And, you know, just discussing them, just being vocal can bring a lot of light to some of the trauma that we incur. So, yeah, much respect for that. Thank for you. sure. Okay, so getting into process. So, of course, doing a film is a huge undertaking. It requires a lot of different types of creatives, actors, additional videographers, designers, writers. So how many of those roles did you recruit for versus, you know, take on yourself? Because I know a lot of times, especially when you're a multi-hat creative, you're like, you know what? I can save the money. I can do it myself. I can get it better if I do it myself, get it done. You know, so how much of that work did you outsource versus taking on? Well, um... Like you said, we always try to take on way too much and it really stunts us. And I have been plagued by that over the years where I try to wear all the hats. I mean, I even went as far as learn to be a makeup artist, (laughs) you know, get my (laughs) back card and all of this stuff. And it's just, it's way too much. So in this film, uh, I was fortunate to have a, a wonderful crew that was willing to come in and just help wherever I needed help. Um, Sean, uh, um, Sean Barry, Deshaun Barry with uh, Deshaun B. Films, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came in and, you know, now he does the exact same thing, but it wasn't beneath him to come in and grab the, the boom mic, you know, and it's like, okay, I, I got you on audio. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus Eubanks, who's, you know, well known, uh, even an Emmy you know, award winner. He was in an early episode. Check him out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he even came in, you know, and he was on the camera at one point. And then I'm like, you know, I don't mind stepping down and saying, Hey, cause you got more experience. You know, mm-hmm. here's the a cam. I'm gonna grab the boom mic. You know, he was like, no, no, no. You know, I'm, I get the mic and, and you do it. So I had people like that had, you know, and Sean really helped out a lot, bringing a lot of his crew members, uh, you know, to help me out as well. So helping, you know, with script management and just keeping everything organized 
because mm-hmm. uh, I would have missed a lot of shots. You know, a lot, I did a lot of pre-production on my own as far as the shot list and figuring out which was going to be the best order to shoot everything. And with COVID now, you got different COVID yeah. procedures that you need to try to adhere to to, you know, minimize as many people that's on set at one time. And mm-hmm. so I did a lot of the, the pre-production work myself. So once the crew came on set day, I was able to pass that over to an assistant and she did a phenomenal job making sure everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. Cause I was forgetting shots cause you get so caught in your zone and making sure, you know, everything is in focus. The audio is crisp and mm-hmm. we're like, Hey, are we shooting this scene next? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. And she's like, no, no. Uh, according to your schedule, this is supposed to be next. Like you're right. You know, nice. let's stick to the script. So, uh, it was, it was really wonderful to have a crew, you know, a production crew around me, uh, to help keep everything running so smoothly. You know, and then the cast as well, they were, you know, willing when they wasn't shooting, uh, you know, they weren't involved in the scene. They were helping, you know, clear the set and make sure continuity was kept and everything. So everybody chipped in. It was definitely a team effort. I love that so much, especially hearing that, you know, even some of the creatives who are more senior on certain things or have more experience were willing to come in and like step back and just kind of let you do your thing and just say like, I'm here to support however you need me to support. Um, and, and that's how we should be as a creative community. Like, you know, it's not about how long, who's been doing what it's like, whose vision or what vision are you trying to execute and how can I help you execute that vision? Exactly. And having so many, you know, different creatives on set, mm-hmm. you know, they brought things to the table that I didn't see, you know, Marcus definitely came in clutch with a few shots that I didn't think about. You know, mm-hmm. but by him being there, he's seen them. Uh, one of them, matter of fact, I was going through all the footage as I'm editing, and I'm like, "Where's this shot come from?" I don't, I don't remember. You know, planning this shot, he did it on his own, and I'm so mm-hmm. glad he did it. You know, because it was a perfect insert shot. So yeah, uh-huh. it, you know, having so many minds, you know, everybody's firing on all cylinders, and it just made for a better experience for everybody. Yes. Shout out to team collaboration for black creatives. That's a, that's excellent yes, when you have a squad, because especially something like a film, that's just such a huge undertaking. And, it, you know, even it, like I, I'm amazed when I see people do these little YouTube videos that are like 10 minutes long. And I'm like, man, who held the camera? I can't even get somebody to take my pictures for Instagram. Like, right. <laughs> man. And, you know, I was so nervous to about putting uh, any of my work out there. Like I wrote mm. the script and everything and I'm like, man, is this going to sound cheesy? You know, just how did, how is it going to be received? And mm. once I finally, cause for the long, I put a whole crew and team together without them seeing the script. And so when mm. I finally had no other choice, but to give them the script so they could see it, you know, everyone loved it. So I'm like, okay. And you know, I was tripping for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just that, you know, trying to be, make sure it's perfect, you know, spent so yes. many hours researching screenwriting and reading books on screenwriting and so forth mm-hmm. to make sure that, you know, I put forth the best that I could put forth. Yeah, I, I totally get that too, especially as a writer uh, myself, I'm sensitive about that too. So like, 
it doesn't matter. Like I write for work and it is is professional. And I also write personally and it doesn't matter which one it is. I'm like, you know, I don't want you to see it. If I'm writing one sentence for a marketing campaign at work or for an interface, I'm like, let me get it perfect before I send it to my team. <laughs> because it's just that perfectionist you know you just want to make sure that you're putting your best work out because so much especially as creative you feel like your work is a reflection of of you and people will judge you based on your work exactly exactly so it was a big relief when you know it was well received so i'm like yeah okay let's let's move forward to the next step now yeah so and it's gonna make it easier to finally you know let people see my scripts and so forth Yes, yes. I'm a, I'm really excited for your film and where it's going to go. I've, I've followed a, f- a few of your shots and stuff that you've posted on social. So I know it's going to be Thank great. You. And, you know, <laughs> even with that, like, I forgot all about the behind the scenes. And even mm. with my photography, I've bought, you know, additional cameras because I'm like, OK, I need to be recording behind the scenes footage. And you get in that mm-hmm. moment and I forget all about it. And so even in this, and this is where Sean came in again and was like, hey, uh, who's handling behind the scenes? And so they all just started taking pictures and recording stuff. And it's like, thank you. Because if they wouldn't, mm-hmm. if he wouldn't have never said that, it wouldn't have been no behind the scenes footage. Wow. Team coming through again. Yes. So important. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, like I said, it was, it was just an exciting uh, feeling to have so many people, you know, around you, helping you. Because, uh, I mean, you just, you're always going to be nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even describe how that feels, that nervousness. Um, but once we finally took the first shot, you kind of settle in then. And now it's just, you know, let's let's get it done and, you know, get the best take in each scene. And, and you know, it went flawlessly. Yes. So, so how long has it been since you started? Like from the moment you thought like, okay, this is what I want to do until now. Uh, as far as that's production. Or the, the idea, just like when the idea faintly crossed your mind, like, I think I want to do this as a short film. Um, so last year I missed the opportunity to get involved with the uh, road reel competition. Mm-hmm. So this year I was kind of anticipating it. And I remember vividly, I, I was talking with someone and I'm like, oh, I wonder if Road is going to do, because, you know, with Corona and everything, stuff just ain't the same. No yeah. more. But I'm like, I wonder if they're going to do that competition again this year. And literally the next day the announcement came out. So I got to work at that point. And I want to say this was around August, uh, July, August time frame when they announced it. Mm-hmm. And so I got to work and thinking about concepts. Um, And I went through several before I landed on domestic violence. Uh, I even went to the point of trying to find the CEO of Rogue and do some background research on him. You know, because I want to make sure, you know, I do a film that will connect to them, you know, that they can connect with. And so uh, then with my work schedule, it kept going, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to have time to pull this off to not ever want to give up on it. So finally, I'm, I decided to go ahead and do it. Mm. And then it happened as it would the day that I had scheduled to, uh, for the production uh, work got in the way. And the team that I, had, you know, assembled, they still wanted to do the project. 
So we still, that's why we still ended up doing it, even though it didn't get submitted for the contest. Ah, okay. Okay. So I say it definitely took, you know, a solid two months of planning to, to bring it to fruition. Okay. Okay. And that's a nice tip too, looking at, you know, who is going to ultimately be judging the competition and uh, how to best connect with them because that, you know, you have to know your audience and we talk about that so much on this show, like knowing your target demographic as a writer, knowing your audience and who you're speaking to, if you're in tech, knowing who your user is and what their needs are. So it's just always important to know who you are talking to and, you know, if if you could have found anything good and just like pretty much connected with him directly um, with your film. Yeah. And I don't even know if he would have been a judge, but you know, He's the owner of the company, so I'm going to start at that point. Yeah, know? like he may see it at some point. <laughs> right, right. You know, so whatever I could dig up in his background, I wanted to try to, you know, pull on those heartstrings. Mm-hmm. All right. So knowing you're doing this independent, you don't have Netflix, you know, or Universal Studios, or more so Netflix, since Netflix is really championing um, a lot of Black content now. But you don't have, like, one of those big names behind you. So how... Have you gone about um, creating a film that, you know, something that's usually considered a huge, a huge uh, mass scale production on your own? So what kind of hacks like cost hacks, productivity hacks, efficiency hacks have you used? Um, Basically, just working and saving the money to produce it. You know, even on a no budget film, you're still going to spend money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So a lot of it, though. I created myself or, you know, I, I would make it. So props, uh, costumes, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've made on myself um, in which they were really amazed with them. Like, oh, my God, man, these uniforms look good. Like I have a couple of police officers. I have a couple of EMT people. And so I went, looked at EMT. Well, I, I have a friend that's an EMT. So I had her to send me pictures of her uniform. And then I went on Amazon, bought the patches, bought the shirts and the pants and, you know, put the uniform together, come down to the bag and stethoscope and, you know, the uh, whole shebang uh, for police officers. Both of my younger brothers are law enforcement. So I see them all the time. So I knew, you know, the gun belts and handcuffs and guns, you know, mm-hmm. all of that to make them look legit. Um, and you just, you know, I do a lot of... Um, research on youtube on how to pull off different effects and and so forth so when you're limited it makes you think outside the box Hmm. you know like i can't get a police car so how can i create a scene where i got police lights and an officer showing up in a car how can i pull that off well Hmm. um you may not have to see it to know you know your mind is so powerful pull on that Yes, so if I good show point. the guy in the in the costume and you see the lights because you can get the you know that effect from a lot of different lights nowadays. So I got the lighting effect and I got the guy in a uniform. I don't necessarily have to have the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Jaws when they made Jaws, they didn't have a shark. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was just the music that made you think. You know what's coming. You know <laughs> something is in the water without seeing what's in the water. Mm. That is so good. That is so good. I never thought about that because like, and you're right. Your mind will 
anticipate and just from what we know about consuming so much media and so many movies and, and how the plot usually goes, we know what happens. Like if police officer shows up, you know, you see blue, you see blue and red lights, you know what that means. You know, or right. you have to see the car. You hear the noise, you know what that means. You hear that heavy knock. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. those types of things. Yeah, that, that's like a, that's actually a really, really good hack of a way to kind of like play on what people anticipate and um, almost like familiar mental models of what people expect uh, mm-hmm. to use that to take advantage of things. So that's a really good one. Yeah. And that's something I had to learn to start to lean on more, you know, not being able to tell the story without necessarily because we don't have big budgets. You know, we don't have a budget like Hollywood. So how can I tell the story with minimal props or, you know, not having access to everything that you think you need? You know, so it definitely makes you think. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you have to do you have to be really quick on your toes because I'm sure you could be in the middle of a scene and something you may need something or a prop or so, anything that you didn't mm-hmm. think of, you, you didn't expect. So you kind of have to be innovative and think of other ways to signify things and explain things. So lots of problem solving. It sounds like it, a whole lot of problem solving, which is a skill that unfortunately they don't really teach in school. Yeah. Um, you know, my background is actually, well, I mentioned the military. So I was an aviation electrician in mm-hmm. the military and that was all about problem solving and troubleshooting mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times on the spot you know you got an aircraft that has to launch but something is wrong mm-hmm. you know and you got to figure that out and it's people lives at stake so mm-hmm. that's a skill that i've you know have developed over the years and i you know it just translates in so many other areas of life um i'll also say you know on the film what helps as well is having that background in photography because mm-hmm. you learn lighting. You you know, you this is a, a, a 2D thing, but you got to figure out how to light it in a way to make it 3D. Uh, mm-hmm. You also learn, you know, composition. Uh, so, you know, the rule of thirds and all of that stuff, what's going to give me a, a, a solid, strong image. Um, and then the spiritual side of that, learning about your, your chakra system and the colors. And yeah. uh, you probably learned this in marketing, uh, which I did go to school for marketing as well. Once I moved back to Arkansas, I went to Euler for marketing, Okay, you know, but understanding how different colors are going to elicit different feelings, mm-hmm. you know, so you pull on all of these things uh, and sound, sound is so key. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, I recreated a thunderstorm in this film. Wow. And people that have seen Son of the Cliffs was like, man, how did you how did you get it to rain? And, you know, the thunderstorm and stuff. It's like, yeah, it's a water hose, <laughs> you know, water hose <laughs> against the window. But when you put the sound effect with it, you know, of a thunderstorm and I got lights that flash like lightning. It looks like it's a thunderstorm going up. Wow. Yeah. And not yeah. to give all of it away, but there's a sunrise in the scene mm-hmm. that was shot at midnight. Wow. See, look, now you got, now I want a full behind the scenes documentary <laughs> that's just as long as the film. Like, I need all of this. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like I said, you figure out, well, you know, I'm not getting up at six o'clock in the morning to shoot a sunrise, nor will my actress be available at that time of morning to shoot this sunrise. Mm. So how can I pull this off, this effect off, you know, in the middle of the night? 
and we were able to do it. Wow. Those are things you don't even think about when you're watching a movie. You are just entertained. Um, right. You just assume like that that world exists as it's presented. You know, exactly. um, if it's night, you just assume they shot at night. So yeah. uh, that is, that's really interesting. I never thought about that. Like, I'm really one of these pictures of somebody running a water hose now. So I can see it. <laughs> you know, I need that a side by side with the actual shot and what it's going to look like. <laughs> I wish I didn't shoot the setup, but um, yeah, I basically, and I, I tested all of this stuff before I got people on set, except for the sunrise. That was just a theory I had in my mind, what would work. And I tried it and it worked perfect one take and, you know, we had the shot, but mm-hmm. the water hose thing that I actually did a uh, a photo shoot a few months ago where I made a rain machine in my studio. And nice. so I basically emulated that, but I needed it to rain against the window. And with rain, mm-hmm. like you don't shoot it directly at something. You shoot it in the air and let it fall back down. Mm-hmm. Let gravity take effect to make it more realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and backlighting it so that it shows up. So in the scene, I wanted to see the rain, uh, the shadow of the rain coming down the wall. So I had to play with the positioning of the light, which was, you know, supposed to be moonlight coming through the window that's showing the rain coming down the wall. So I played with the positioning of that, where to put it, do I put gels on it, all of that stuff before. And this is what people don't, uh, I think, uh, realize either when they watch movies, how much pre-production goes into movies you know you got to see with movies you got to know what the final result is going to be in order to plan how to do it so you almost working in in reverse Mm. you know you got to see it first and then figure out how to achieve it wow okay i didn't think about that but that makes sense like you're you're working backwards almost yeah yeah so and like I said, it's when I watch a movie now, I can't just watch it for entertainment. I'm watching like I want to see where the cuts made at. You yeah. know, where's the camera at? Where's the light coming from? Is that a one take or you know, did they cut this scene? That's the type of stuff. I can't just sit there and watch the movie and enjoy the movie. All of those yeah. things I'm trying to, you know, pick it apart so I can learn from it. Yes. Wow. See, it, yeah, I would I would bet that you would you would see everything behind the scenes of it because, yeah, I don't know. Now I'm I'm interested, but now I'm like, you know what? Maybe the film industry, I don't need to see the behind the scenes of it because movies, that's my favorite form of escapism. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and after I watch a movie, I love when they have a uh, director's cut. Mm-hmm. Where they sit there and I will watch that before I watch the movie. Sometimes like that's the part that really interests me is that director's cut, the commentary, and they explain their vision, you know, and why they shot something the way they shot it. Mm-hmm. That's what's interesting to me when I look at movies. Yes, I would say um, this is a show. And of course, it's, it's notorious for not having enough black characters, but it's still... Nevertheless, it was one of my favorite shows, Game of Thrones. Um, mm-hmm. And they would show a lot of behind-the-scenes footage. And it always amazed me how they got those shots, all the effects. You know, and, and as I've seen some, you know, even for Lovecraft Country, which recently I uh, finished that. And 
just seeing the green screens and how they're shooting all yes. like these shots. There was this shot when they were underwater. It appears that they're underwater, but then when you see how they shot it, they were literally like in this little bin and then like the cameras and stuff were on the side shooting it. And um, even music videos, you know, I've, I've seen mm-hmm. some things where it looks like the person is walking over you, but they're really in a glass room and there's the camera is you know shooting from the, uh, uh, the other room from the bottom. So right. it's just crazy how these things come together and it looks so seamless. And it always amazes me. You don't see not one mic person light at all in any of the shots you are completely immersed in this other world exactly you know it's i haven't seen lovecraft country yet i seen i didn't finish game of thrones but um i've seen some of it and green screen i'm really want to get more into green screen Mm. uh to the point um i'm building a psych wall out at my studio and it was going to be white originally but now I'm thinking I'm painting it green mm. uh, so that I can get into more green screen work. And I'm looking for somebody, if you're out there, uh, for <laughs> CGI, you know, that can do 3D modeling. Because uh, it's been years since I learned it in, in school. I don't even think they use Maya no more. So I recently <laughs> tried to get back into it. was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to leave that alone and uh, find somebody <laughs> to do it. Because, yeah, that learning curve is steep. But I that's something that I'm really intrigued in. Um, Gemini man is a mm-hmm. the technology that they used in that. Yes. You know, literally you only need one actor now because you, you know, they can put anybody's face on another actor, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, wow. You know, and it's so realistic. Like you don't even yes. realize it's CGI. Yeah. That movie, when I saw their preview for it, I remember I was, my mind was blown. I was like, is that Will Smith? fighting will smith like I was, <laughs> I was like and it looks good it doesn't look totally cheesy you know and and then i watched the movie and i just kept waiting as i watched the movie for at some point for it to look bad but no nope. it it looked really really good and i was really impressed and even with like this uh reverse age technology they're using now mm-hmm. um that that was amazing too because it really did look like will smith 20 years ago yeah you know, so when you think about the possibilities with that technology now, you know, even actors, actresses that, you know, have transitioned who are no longer here, as long as they see, you know, they can basically recreate them and bring them back for movies now. I did not think about that. Yeah. So huh. talk about cutting your budget, <laughs> you know. Mm, that is very interesting. I wonder, that could be a matter, that is actually a very interesting point that I wonder how that could be worked out legally. You know, are actors now doing that? Are they now big actors? You know, I am willing to sign over my likeness to my estate so that my estate can determine, you know, what yeah. new films when I'm gone I can star in. Exactly. I know the mm. legality of it is going to be intense, but I'm sure they're going to figure out a way to do it, get around it, some loopholes, something. Yeah. Yeah. And some but actors may willingly want to do it. You know, some true. of them may be fine with it. True. You know, it'd be kind of like Tupac still dropping albums well after, <laughs> you know, he's transitioned. <laughs> you know, you got people still making movies and they long gone. Yeah, still dropping albums. Shout out to the Dave Chappelle skit. 
That's always right. so funny to me. I need to go back and watch that just that because we talked about it. One of his best kids, man. Indeed, indeed. And very meta, as I am currently wearing a Tupac shirt as I record this. Too bad we're, we're not doing oh, wow. um we're not doing video. I'm wearing a poetic justice shirt today. <laughs> oh man, amazing. <laughs> All right. So um I know you've already shared a few of these. Are there any particular like unexpected uh, successes or challenges that you experience in production that you want to share? I would say, you know, you can plan until the cows come home, but there's always going to be something that's going to pop up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to learn something every time you do this stuff. Uh, one of the things that as I'm editing here, you know, I did a cut, you know, a cut in action and move the camera to a different location and get a different angle. And for the next scene, and when we pick the action back up, um, they wanted to start with the line that they left off on. That line didn't get, uh, well, it got delivered, right? But they, you know, the continuation of what they were going to say was in there. So it mm-hmm. made it a challenge to cut those two scenes together. And it's little stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that next time around, you know, I know either not to cut so soon, let them continue the action or, you know, cut sooner, you know, so that you can marry up those clips Mm -hmm. uh, and post and always, you know, get more coverage than you think you need, which I've heard that before, but until you actually get in the, in the trenches and start cutting all this stuff together, it's like, man, I wish I would have, got this shot or we'll show the done that shot um which i mean you got the time and the budget you can go back and have all these people come back and set it back up again mm-hmm. uh, but in my situation with this one uh that's not feasible you know yeah. i could try it but getting the light in the same spot that i had it the last time so it looks the same all of those things that you know it can be done but it would be very tedious to try to pull that off yeah so um you know, I did learn a lot of little things like that that I helped with the next one. So that would probably be my biggest, I'd say the biggest challenge. That and audio. I can't mm. stress audio enough. Sound has to be perfect. And mm. so I went into this thing hoping to have three different audio sources. Um, the shotgun mic that I had on my camera is a great shotgun mic. But that was only to get great scratch audio to be able to sync up, you know, uh, the audio and the the visual uh, Mm -hmm. and post. I forgot that the cable that came with it is not the correct cable. But my mind, again, was elsewhere. So I almost had audio, scratch audio that was useless. Uh, Mm -hmm. Luckily, you know, I had the uh, person that was uh, my assistant that was working the uh, slate board. I had her clap it loud enough to where that clap still came through and I was able to sync up the clips. Mm -hmm. The second issue I ran into, though, was I had lavalier microphones on my main two actors uh, that pretty much had all the dialogue and they didn't work the way they were supposed to work. Mm -hmm. They actually I ended up ditching them because, you know, time we supposed to did the first shoot at like four. It's almost four thirty and I'm still fighting with these lavalier microphones. Mm. So I ended up switching them out with a set that I already had myself. 
um, that I didn't think. Well, the problem was I wanted to keep their vocals on two different tracks. So in post-production, right. You know, if I need to boost this one on this, you know, so that was my reason with going with the original route. But when it, they wasn't working, I ended up switching back to a set that I already own, which means both of their vocals were going to be on the same track. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a shotgun microphone that was, you know, a really good shotgun mic. And I had that going into a, a different recorder than I had the Lavaliers going into. So redundancy. I had mm-hmm. a lot of redundancy and it paid off. You know, it definitely paid off. So the lab, the audio I got from the Lavaliers, I didn't even use because the mm-hmm. shotgun uh you know audio was was great yeah that came that came through and i i totally understand that having to like edit audio on one track is just tedious (laughs) tedious and rough and i cannot imagine having to do that for an entire film my goodness man you know it's it's a lot of work it's a lot of work the production Mm -hmm. is probably the easiest part you know Mm -hmm. pre-production and post-production is a lot of work, you know, and that's why major film companies, they don't put out a lot of films every year. You may get one, maybe two, you know, major uh, movies, you know, feature films that come out in a year mm-hmm. from each company, you know. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a lot of work just for your short film. So I cannot imagine <laughs> doing like these full, especially these Titanic length films exactly my goodness i mean i eventually want to get to you know doing a feature but Mm -hmm. i want to step my way up so i want to do several short films first before i try to tackle you know a full feature film yeah yeah that that makes sense that makes sense and then you know like you said if if you want to hop in another competition or something like that there are always short film competitions that are going on right yeah, there's festivals. I'm looking at getting in the uh, it's an Arkansas festival that's coming up. Uh, so this film that we just did, uh, definitely I'll submit that one. Uh, and I got a couple of more that should be ready by the end as well. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Well, let me know definitely when you submit because I want to I wanna catch it and support how I can. I appreciate that. I would definitely let you know. Always. Okay, so as we get ready to wrap up, I have a few questions I always ask all of my guests. So earlier, you mentioned um, that you were reading some script writing books. Can you drop any books that you can recommend that either um, you read in the past or you heard were good reads or is a current read for you? I'd say my favorite one, uh, and I hate I waited so long to read it, is uh, Save the Cat. Uh, Jacob Blake. Mm. That one is definitely by far my favorite. And anybody in the, getting in the script writing would definitely want to read that one. Next, I would say there's one called Heroes and uh, Heroines. And that one is, is on, uh, I can't remember the author's name, but it's on character development. Mm. Uh, the different archetypes of characters and how they you know, relate to each other and so forth. That one I've had for some years and I've always pulled on that to, you know, to assist in uh, character development. So those two books uh, I would highly recommend. Hmm, I may have to check that one out on uh, the different characters. So I think that can help a lot with creative writing just in general. Yeah. 
definitely. Okay. And how do you think your work impacts the black community? Um, well, that, you know, bringing that spiritual component mm-hmm. that it's been missing in a lot of what we do, you know, mm-hmm. and most of the times when you do get some semblance of spirituality, it's usually in some type of horror type of way. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, I want to do works that start to reintroduce concepts that we have forgotten, mm-hmm. you know, um, even that ancestor, uh, you hear, you know, you're starting to hear as people are waking up more and more now consciousness is, you know, booming right now. Um, mm-hmm. You'll hear that term thrown around so loosely mm-hmm. when people really don't understand who ancestors are or yeah. which are the ancestors that you should be working with. Mm-hmm. Um, That's all. So, man, look. <laughs> you to watch yeah. who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a big one because they'll think you know Pookie that passed away a couple of months ago is an ancestor, and yeah. not necessarily, you know. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about the ascended masters in your bloodline. Mm-hmm. Those are the ancestors that you know that you should be looking to. But again, you know, those are things that people have lost uh, connect. So I'm hoping that the works that I do will impact the black community in that fashion to reintroduce mm-hmm. some of, you know, why do you play in church? Now we talk in religion. Why do you play this specific cadence, this drum cadence? Mm. You know, when you say you, you get catching the Holy Ghost, this spiritual thing, mm. you know, what is the significance of this cadence? You know, we do these things, but we don't know why we do them. Mm. You know, some of those type of deals you know, tackling those uh, questions and stuff uh, is what I hope to do in my work. Yes. And we need that. We need that so much. So, and yeah, to your point, even um, there was recently Lovecraft is all the rage right now. um, And there's a scene in which, like you said, there was brought in a, um, a, a priestess. And of course it was like, you know, she was sacrificing a goat and, you know, it just, it was just all in a, that traditional horror sense. Uh, but one, one way they kind of flipped it back to a more positive sense was um, towards the end of the scene, the, the main actor who's played by uh, Journey Smollett, she, you know, basically spoke life and spoke power back into um, some of the spirits in the house and they became whole and were healed. So I did like how they at least attempted to kind of make it into a positive message instead of like, you know, just everything that has any type of dealings with spirituality for black folks has to be scary and evil. And, you know, I just, right. I just, that's, that, that's so played out and it just plays into that fear culture that we don't need. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, American Gods is another yes. film uh, that touches on a lot of this stuff to the point that they, you know, uh, with or- who was that Orlando Jones, his mm. character, he got so yes. into that, that, you know, uh, we got to exit this. You know, now you, you, mm-hmm. you're putting too much out there. People are going to start to, you know, connect the dots here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that, you know, and you mentioned she sacrificed the goat. And mm-hmm. for, you know, most people that come up in Christianity, I definitely, you know, from early ages, my father's a pastor, you know, evangelist, prophet, all of that. 
uh, grandfathers were, uncles. You look at, you know, you hear sacrifice and immediately think it's something so evil, mm-hmm. not realizing you participate in the sacrificial ritual every first Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every yeah. first Sunday, you know, but there's different, but they don't, and it's just because they don't know. They don't see yeah. how it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and if you look at stories in the Bible, there are several stories in the Bible of sacrifice. We we saw, was it Abraham who had to sacrifice yep, his son? Was about to? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> but we're not going to get into all that today. Uh- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We'll be here all, all day. All day. Definitely. Out, yes. Know? Okay. So what final advice do you have for black creators who are looking to get into film? Just do it. Do it regardless of where you're at. You know, it's only going to get better. But you got to take that first step and get started. Um, So and don't think that it's the gear because it's not the gear. And let me be the one to tell you because I've spent (laughs) uh, a small fortune on gear. The gear is not going to make the difference. You could shoot a full movie on an iPhone. You know, it's all about telling your story. So the art of storytelling and and just get started, you know, definitely do it. Get started. That would be my advice. Get started. And lastly, where can people find you online to follow your creative journey? Um, Right now, I would say Facebook uh, under my name, Ryan Barnes, Um, as well as Instagram. I'm not really big on social media. I got to start. Actually, I just talked to someone to start uh, posting for me on social media. Uh, but I'm on mm-hmm. Instagram at RB Media Photo, and it's RB underscore media underscore photo. Um, and on Facebook, like I said, it's Ryan Barnes. You also see Amaruka uh, beside it. So there's several Ryan Barneses. So. <laughs> but that's where you yeah. can find me. Excellent. Excellent. I always think it's funny when I ask that question and I have, I always, it's, it's one way or another with black creators. It's always either like, I'm fully on social media. I'm on everything. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. And then it's always like, mm, I'm on like maybe one thing. If you catch me at that time. You know, what's crazy <laughs> is I got, I got, uh, I got a business Facebook and a regular Facebook. I got three Instagrams. Mm-hmm. I got two Twitters, got Snapchat. I got all of that stuff. TikTok, don't <laughs> use none of it. <laughs> none of it. I'm horrible when it comes to staying consistent with posting. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I'm just, I'm doing so much stuff and I just forget to, oh man, I should have put a post up today, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I understand that. I'm I'm that way as well. This podcast has been my challenge to, to step outside of that and try to stay consistent with posting because... I yeah, will definitely big ups to you on the off. podcast too. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I know how much work goes into that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I just kind of I had an idea one day and I was like, I think this could work. I think this could be a good idea. And you know, and for a while yes. I was just like, nah, what if I don't do this right? What if I don't do that right? What if I don't get a follow? You know, and I was like, right. just do it. I, and what I what I had to do was like I set a goal for myself and I was just like look you are going to schedule this interview and I don't care how you get there you're going to do it so I scheduled an interview with somebody didn't even have a mic 
did not have a mic, did not have a headphone, headphones or anything. But once I scheduled that interview, it kicked my behind into overdrive and I got on Amazon and I two day ships and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there it is. And there it is. It and it's been gear. going. It is not the gear. It's just not. Do it. Just had to if get it you done. do it, just do it. And speaking of that, I will take the opportunity to plug my, uh, I have a podcast as well. Um, yes. It's kind of on hold a little bit. And it was the same thing. I planned that thing for like a year. Mm. And I finally, I wanted it because it's, it's geared towards men. So I wanted it to release uh, on Father's Day. Mm. And so I did. I made the release on Father's Day, although I had so many challenges and complications come up. But we got it out on Father's Day. And right now it's kind of on hold a little bit because there's a short film connected to that as well that nice. explains the the premise of the whole podcast. So that's why there hasn't been an episode right now because I'm trying to get that short. And it was going to be the first short film that I was going to do, but the contest came up. So it's like, all right, I'm going to put that on hold to do this contest. It was $75,000 at stake. So I was like, oh, yeah. I can use that. Let's do the, the contest first and then we'll do the podcast short film. But it's called Check Them Balance. So mm-hmm. uh, you should definitely see more from that here soon. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. And that's such a smart strategy to have the short film and the podcast. I love the way you connect all your media. Dope. Thank you. Thank you. Because people that know me be like, man, you uh, you do too many things. You got this and that. And I'm like, but they're all connected. Yeah. <laughs> you know, They're all connected. Yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> yes. If they're if they're connected, you can make it work. Exactly. So again, I thank you for this opportunity, and uh, I definitely be following your show, and you know, look forward to seeing more from you. I'm so thankful that Ryan took the time to speak with us today. He really gave us a lot of insight into what it's like to take your craft into your own hands and be an independent filmmaker. I'm going to hit y'all with the five key takeaways that I have for today's episode. And I would love to hear yours as well. Remember, you can contact me just at blacksecretive.com or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Number one, are you a product junkie? Are you using that as a procrastination method? If you're too focused on investing in equipment and not creating or putting your work out there to be consumed, you could be engaging in analysis paralysis, our favorite term on the show. Do not smother your creative goals with perfectionism and stalling by buying more and more equipment or saying, I need to do this and do that before getting started. It's just another way to do that. Number two. Work your way around the gatekeeping in your industry. In this particular episode, we're talking about the film industry of Hollywood, which is notorious for ridiculous gatekeeping practices. With the tools and technology that we have today, we have the power to create the stories that we want to see on screen. And that brings me to number three. Bring your truly unique lived experience into your art. That is so important, especially in the filmmaking industry. Ryan specifically talked about seeing a gap in the industry for what he wanted to see. He didn't see things he wanted to see. So he created those. And we also kind of nods that a little bit on our episode earlier in this season with Forte Photography on seeing a gap in his industry as well. And number four, knowing when 
you should be a multi-hat creative and knowing when you need to say, hey, I'm going to take a step back and bring in other creatives or other professionals who can step in and bring the vision to life. Find the right balance of where you can cut costs and do work on your own versus have someone else do it for you. So Ryan specifically talked about bringing in Marcus. Marcus is another guest from earlier this season. And he's an experienced videographer and he just came in and immediately started helping Ryan execute his vision. So know when and how to collaborate with other creatives and those creatives can help you capture moments in between the fold that you may have missed on your own. And number five, when creating work for a specific audience, research them to create something for them. Again, this is something that has already been Iterated, reiterated in other episodes. If you go back to Tay Everson's episode, he talks about the importance of building out something with your prospect in mind. Ryan spoke about it more specifically in this episode because he talked about when he was going to enter that film competition, wanting to create a short specifically for the owner of the company. And again, that's a part of your audience. So knowing who you're creating your art for, if you're trying to reach a specific audience for a a certain goal, which I'm assuming you are, if you're putting your art out there in the world, you know, um, just keep that in mind as well. So those are my five key takeaways. Thanks for listening to another episode of Black Executive. I really appreciate y'all. We are dwindling down to the end of the season. Only a few more episodes left before we're done for 2020. And we're going to come back hard in 2021 with the video audio combo. So if you haven't already done so, check out my uh, Black Executive YouTube channel. Watch that interview, like and subscribe because you don't want to miss what's coming in January. I already have interviews and guests lined up that cannot wait to share their stories and I cannot wait to share them with you. So until next time, keep aspiring to inspire. Thanks for listening to another episode of Black Executive. If you enjoyed listening in on this convo, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Executive. Have something to add to the conversation? Visit blackexecutive.com to leave feedback and your thoughts could be featured on a later episode. While you're there, pick up your exclusive Black Executive gear and rep the culture. And spread the knowledge. If you know a Black creator trying to go pro, a corporate mogul looking to advance, or a cousin that's always hustling but never gets an idea going, drop them a link to the show. Until next time, keep aspiring to inspire. <laughs>